thing at the receipt of custom. And he saith unto him, Follow me. And he rose and followed him. And it came to pass, as Jesus sat at meat in the house, behold, many publicans and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said unto his disciples, Why eat your master? Why eateth your master with publicans and sinners? And when Jesus heard that, he said unto them, they that behold need not a physician, but they that are sick. But go ye and learn what that meaneth. I will have mercy and not sacrifice. For I am not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. <coughs> Chapter 10 and verse 3 gives the list of the apostles. Verse 2 says the names of the twelve apostles are these. First Simon, who is called Matt, Peter, and Andrew, and his brother, and James, the son of Zebedee, and John his brother, and Philip, and Bartholomew, Thomas, and Matthew, the publican. James, the son of Alphaeus. And Libius, whose surnames was Thaddeus, Simon the Canaanite, and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent forth. And then we go to Mark chapter number 2. Mark chapter 2. What you'll notice here is that Matthew was called and then the twelve are listed. And in other words, Matthew was called and then after that you'll find the listing of the twelve in the following chapters, Matthew 2, or excuse me, Mark 2, verse 14, it says, And as he passed by, he saw Levi, that's his other name, the son of Alphaeus. Now, the last passage in Matthew, we read that James was the son of Alphaeus. Now we see Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at his, the receipt of custom, and said unto him, Follow me. And he arose and followed him. It came to pass that as Jesus sat at meat in his house, that would be Levi's house, or Matthew's house, many publicans and sinners sat also together with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many, and they followed him. And when the scribes and Pharisees saw him eating with the publicans and sinners, they said unto his disciples, How is it that he eateth? and drinketh with publicans and sinners. And when Jesus heard it, he saith unto them, They that are whole have no need of the physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And the disciples of John and of the Pharisees used to fast, and they come and say unto him, Why do the disciples of John and of the Pharisees fast, but thy disciples fast not? And he answered that question as well, but we'll keep going. Matthew chapter 3 and verse 18, we see again the list and it says, uh, verse, uh, we'll start in verse number uh, 16. Simon surnamed Peter, James the son of Zebedee, and John the brother of James, verse 17. He surnamed uh, them Bonagiris, which is the sons of thunder. We've talked about them, and Andrew, and Philip, and we talked about Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, and Simon the Canaanite, and Judas Iscariot. And then in Luke chapter 5, we have, again, the similar reading in Luke chapter 5, and verse 27, and uh, Luke chapter 5, verse 27. And after these things, he went forth and saw a publican named Levi sitting at the receipt of custom. And he saith unto him, Follow me. And he left all, rose up, and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his own house. And there was a great company of publicans and of others that sat down with them. But their scribes and Pharisees murmured against his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with publicans and sinners? And Jesus answering said unto them, They that are whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And then Luke chapter 6 and verse number 15, that's Matthew, but we start in verse 13. Uh, he called the, the disciples, he chose 12. Verse 14, Simon, whom he also named Peter, Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew. Verse 15, and Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus. Simon called Zelotes, Judas, the brother of James, and Judas Iscariot, which also was the traitor. So we read the different passages about Matthew. John does not list the calling of Matthew 
uh, as, the, as the others did, but John does talk about the publicans and about uh, the calling. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Luke chapter 5, we read it already, but verse 32, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Matthew was a publican. And what was a publican? Well, let's look at this and, and start with Matthew and talk about him personally. Matthew or Matthias means a gift of the Lord. And his other name was Levi. <clears throat> that would have been his surname. And uh, we, we find that uh, uh, named Levi, verse 27 of Luke 5. Um, it also could mean that he was a Levite. That kind of makes sense. It could be that he was a Levite. Well, that means he was the priestly tribe. And as such, they were, they were given a portion of the promised land. Uh, they were not given, excuse me, not given a portion of the promised land. They did not own a land like the other tribes did. Their job was to take care of the tabernacle. Well, if that's the case, then if Matthew was a Levite, that's really kind of a, a, a real disappointment. That's a real shame because his parents and his grandparents would have no doubt have raised him or should have raised him better than that to serve the Lord. In other words, a Levite's job was to collect tithes, not taxes. All right? So it's interesting that his name is called Levi. Not saying for sure that I know that he was a Levite, but there's a possibility, especially since his surname was Levi. He's also called the son of Alphaeus, and we read how that James the Less is called the son of Alphaeus, so it's possible that that's the same Alphaeus and that these two were brothers. Don't know for sure, but that's possible. Now, where did he live? Where was he from? Matthew dwelt in or near the city of Capernaum. Mark chapter 2 tells us that in verse 1 and also verse 13 and 14 that he was from Capernaum. Well, what's special about Capernaum? Well, if you were in Sunday school this morning, I was talking about Peter's mother-in-law. And I was talking about how that Jesus left the synagogue and went to Peter's house and then had to uh, heal his mother-in-law, Peter's mother-in-law, who was very sick. I've been to the ruins of Capernaum. And uh, that's where Matthew probably was at because that seems to be where he was practicing his business or what he did as a publican. It's also where the Lord Jesus lived and had dwelled for a while. The Bible indicates that in Matthew 4, verse 13. It was also the center of taxation. So it makes sense that that's where Matthew was working. Matthew seventeen twenty four 24 uh, indicates that. Uh, we can look at that, Matthew 17 and verse 24. It indicates that because it was a, a fishing industry. There was main fishing going on. That's uh, where a lot of the fishing industry would have been. So that would have been where they would set up their tax collection, obviously. And so Matthew 17 and verse 24, And when they were come to Capernaum, they that received tribute money came to Peter and said, Doth not your master pay tribute? And so there was tax collection going on in Capernaum. It was also uh, right on the highway from Damascus to the Mediterranean Sea. But it was also known as the unrepentant city. Look at Matthew chapter 11. Look what Jesus said about Capernaum. Matthew chapter 11 and verse 23. And thou, Capernaum, which art exalted unto heaven, shalt be brought down to hell. For if the mighty works which have been done in thee had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I say unto you that it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for thee. Sodom is known as wicked, but Capernaum has no excuse. They could and should have repented. There were some like Matthew and Peter and, and others that obviously turned to the Lord, but Capernaum itself did not turn to the Lord. Why did Jesus say that? Well, think about the mighty works. He said many mighty works were done in you Capernaum and yet you have you didn't turn you didn't repent uh it's going to be more tolerable for Sodom than for you because had Sodom seen the works that you got to see what is he talking about well I won't have you turn to all these places but in Matthew 8 starting verse 5 to 13 you have the healing of the centurion's servant the centurion had more faith than the Jews did centurion was a Roman 
Matthew 17, verse 24 through 27, we just read a portion of that right now where they asked Peter, what about your master? Is he going to pay taxes? And Jesus said, Peter, go cast a line and catch a fish. And when you reel the fish in, open the fish's mouth, and you'll find the tax and pay it. That's a pretty cool miracle. And then in Mark chapter 1, we read about the unclean spirits that Jesus healed and cast out in the synagogue, that same synagogue I was talking about earlier. And also in Mark chapter 1, at the end of the chapter, after he, he, he cast out the unclean spirits, and they in the synagogue were mad at him for doing that, and delivered people of unclean spirits, he walked over to Peter's mother-in-law's house, to Peter's house where his mother-in-law was, and he healed her of that horrible fever that she was suffering and that we prayed and talked about this morning. In Mark chapter 2, you have the story of the friends who tore off the roof and lowered their friend down in through the roof. That was Capernaum, same place. And also in John chapter 4, it's the same place where the nobleman came and asked Jesus to heal his son. There was a lot of miracles done in Capernaum. They were without excuse. Capernaum was a hub of a lot of things, including what Jesus was doing. Now, you can read, and we'll, we'll get this as we go along in this story, but you can get the idea here that most of the publicans had some money. When Matthew turned to the Lord, as we read already tonight in Luke chapter 5, it says in verse 29, when he, when he followed the Lord, when he obeyed God's calling and he followed the Lord, in Luke chapter 5 again, where I was reading earlier, remember what it says there in verse 29. It says, he left all, verse 28, rose up, followed him, and Levi made him a great feast in his own house. I, I get the impression that Matthew Levi had more possessions and more wealth than Peter the fisherman uh, or maybe James the less had. But what is a publican? And why would they have money? Well, the word publican, it, it's from the Latin publicanus, liter literally a public servant or a government employee publicans then were contracted by the romans as tax collectors look at luke five twenty seven. after these things he went forth and saw a publican sitting at the receipt named levi sitting at the receipt of custom he was working for the romans most not all but most publicans were corrupt so you could say publicans were kind of like the irs agents now, is every IRS agent corrupt? No. Let's be careful that we don't lump them all as corrupt. But I think most IRS agents, the ones that are good, they get it. They understand the comments about the IRS. And Matthew was working for the Roman IRS, and he was a Jew. And the problem is they were corrupt, most of them. They lined their own pockets by collecting more taxes and duties than was required. They dis did this by overcharging. We'll see in a little bit where John the Baptist said, don't overcharge. And also, they would do it by extortion, a false accusation. When Zacchaeus, who also was a publican, as a matter of fact, in Luke 19, it says that Zacchaeus was chief of the publicans. And Zacchaeus stood up and said, if I have stolen from any, if I've taken anyone, I restore fourfold. So, I think Zacchaeus is saying that because he knew that he had done that. He had extorted before his salvation. The Romans permitted their extortion 
so long as it did not lead to public insurrection. As long as it didn't cause a major problem for Rome, they didn't care if they skimmed off the top. Publicans were usually wealthy men. And I'm sure that's part of the reason why he had a house. And he made a great feast and had a lot of people there. So what did the people think of the publicans? I think you can guess. They were considered to be the pariahs within the Jewish society. They were classified along with the worst of sinners. When you read about the worst of sinners, there's usually a publican in there somewhere. There's usually That's part of, the, of it. As a matter of fact, remember in Luke chapter 18 when the, the, the Pharisee and the publican went up to the temple to pray. And the Pharisee, you know, stood in his grandeur and the publican stood afar off and beat on his chest and said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. It's just because that's what they were known for is just being sinful, being less than honest. So the strict Jews resented the tax collectors with a passion. We can understand that. They believed only the Lord should receive their tribute because that's the way it was intended in the Old Testament. But of course, they had rebelled against God themselves and God set up a Roman government over them or allowed a Roman government to be set up over them, as we discussed earlier tonight. Publicans were barred from being a witness or a judge and were kept from worshiping at the temple or at least being filled, filled to, to have felt welcome at the temple. That's why the publican in Luke 18 stood afar off. Because people just didn't like him. So since I'm talking about taxes, let me stop and say, what, what about paying taxes? Did you know that John the Baptist did not say, you publicans need to quit your job? He did not say that. He said, quit overcharging. Christians are to pay their taxes. Romans 13 says, "Render excuse, tribute to tribute, custom to custom. We are to pay our tax. But let me tell you this. Every year I try my best not to pay one penny more than I have to. I just found a little clause in, in something I was reading a while ago, and I'm going to send it to my tax preparer. Look at this. I don't, according to this, I don't think I have to be paying taxes on this certain part. What do you think? You know why I do that? Because I don't want to pay one. You know, I mean, look, whenever someone says, would you like to donate another $5? I'm always, no, zero. And when it comes to the IRS, it's like, no. Uh, if anyone says, Pastor, you criticize public school system, but you work for the public school system. Dude, I'm trying to get what I paid to them back. I'm just trying to get it back, that's all. No, really, really, I'm also interested in the young people. But I, I'm not against paying taxes because I think God wants us. What did, what did Jesus say? Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and render to God the things that are God's. When they asked him, asked Peter, so what about your, your master? Is he going to pay taxes? Jesus said, go fishing, get a coin out of the fish's mouth and pay my taxes. I wish Jesus would help me fish that way, but he still does help me pay my taxes. So I do believe we are supposed to respect the office of our publicans and pay our taxes as we ought. And yet I encourage you to recognize that we still have the right to question and to do our best to help rules and laws get changed as they should. But now let's look at the salvation of, of Matthew. You say, yeah, pastor, you, uh, you just read that a little bit ago, how that Jesus walked by and said to Matthew, come, follow me. That's not where Matthew got saved. Here's why I have a real problem with the movies about Jesus and about the Bible. They get it wrong. I think the one out now latest is called The Chosen, and, and, and they make it look like that 
that Jesus came along and they met Jesus and boom, that's where all of a sudden they started following Jesus. That's where they physically started following him. But I've already told you when we started this series on apostles, where did the apostles first start to believe in Jesus? John the Baptist. John the Baptist, there was a man sent from God whose name was John, and he was sent to prepare the way of the Lord and to prepare a people for the Lord. Luke chapter 1 again, I want to emphasize this again. Luke chapter 1 and verse 17 says, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. When you put all the four gospels together, it is so obvious that John the Baptist was sent to prepare a people for the Lord. And then verse 77, it says, to give knowledge of salvation. John's job was to give knowledge of salvation unto his people by the remission of their sins. John the Baptist came preaching repentance and remission of sin. John the Baptist came and preaching of the Lamb of God. John the Baptist is the one who said, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. All of the apostles. And how do I know that? Because of what Acts chapter 1 says. Acts chapter 1 Verse number 22, when Judas hung himself, and I don't believe Judas was a Christian. I don't believe Judas truly was born again. I'll I'll get to that when we get to Judas and we talk about him. But when Judas was gone, they needed to pick a replacement. And you remember, if you were here several weeks ago, that Peter stood up in Acts chapter number 1 and said to the others, all the disciples, and there were many of them. There weren't just 12. There were over 100. There were several disciples there. And Peter stood up and said, verse 21, Wherefore of these men, which have accompanied with us all the time, that the Lord Jesus went in and out from among us, beginning from the baptism of John unto that same day that he was taken up from us, must one be ordained to be a witness uh, with us of, this, of his resurrection. And so then they chose Matthias to replace Judas. But Matthias, one of the requirements was, is that Matthias was baptized by John the Baptist. And Jesus selected men that had been baptized by John the Baptist. I think Judas got baptized by John the Baptist. I think he probably did. And and yet he wasn't truly, I don't think he was born again. You know what? That that's just that happens. People get baptized and they're not saved. And God knows. People fake it. So when Peter stood up and said that, it shows me that Peter Peter was saying, we know that Peter and Andrew were followers of John the Baptist. We know that James and John were followers of John the Baptist. Isn't it interesting that we start reading about the apostles being called and it's like Matthew 9 and Luke 5 or Luke 6 and and it's Mark 3, which is way, Mark is fast. I mean, he's just moving. So so what what about Matthew 8 and Matthew 7 and Matthew 6? What about, what? it's just interesting to me that when we, whenever we talk about the apostles or the, or the story of Jesus, that John is just kind of, marginal there, or, or john is portrayed as the crazy guy i think in the latest one that chosen series peter says crazy john somebody wants you to think john why why do they not want you to respect john the baptist why do they not want you to respect john the baptist why is there no emphasis on the importance of john the baptist How come he's not John the Lutheran? How come there is no figure in the Bible of John the Catholic or John the E-free? John the community? 
I'm not saying everybody who wears the label Baptist is good, but I like the label because it comes out of the Bible. And the Bible says that John was sent from God to prepare the way of the Lord and to prepare a people for the Lord. In Luke chapter 3, let's see what John was preaching. And let's see who John was preaching to. Luke chapter 3. And verse 3. And he came into all the country about Jordan, preaching the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. In other words, they, they were getting saved, they were repenting, and so they need to be, baptism, be baptized for that. As it was written in the book of the words of Isaiah, the prophet saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be fulfilled, and every mountain and hill shall be brought low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough way shall be made smooth, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Then said he to the multitude that came forth to be baptized of him, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bring forth therefore fruits worthy of repentance, and begin not to say within yourselves, We have Abraham to our father. For I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. Whoa. I mean, this guy was telling these self-righteous Jews that just because you have Abraham as your, as your physical lineage, I'm going to tell you right now, God could raise up children out of these rocks if he wanted to. Whoa. Now, by the way, you know who else called them a generation of, you know what a viper is. You know what a generation, genre means descendant. You are children of snakes. You know who else called them a generation of vipers? Jesus. According to today's definition of political correctness, Jesus and John the Baptist were anti-Semitic. Because they called them snakes. Jesus said, I know Abraham's your father, but the truth is your father is the devil. John chapter 8. John the Baptist tore down their self-righteousness. He said, you say Abraham's your father? God could make children out of those rocks right there. He doesn't need you and your physical lineage because of you. That's only to prove that Jesus is Christ and that he kept his promise to Abraham and David concerning Christ coming through his lineage. John keeps preaching here. It says, now also the axe is laid under the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, which bringeth not forth fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. And the people asked him, saying, what shall we do then? They were under conviction. Some of the people were saying, it's just like Acts chapter 2. Men and brethren, what shall we do? It's just like Acts chapter 16. What must I do to be saved? What shall we do then? They're, they're, they're getting under conviction. He answereth and saith unto them, he that hath two coats, let him impart to him that hath none. And he that hath meat, let him do likewise. Then came also publicans to be baptized and said unto him, Master, what shall we do? Now, they weren't going to get baptized unless they were believers. And he said unto them, Exact no more that which is appointed you. And the soldiers likewise demanded of him, saying, What shall we do? So even the centurions were getting saved. He said unto them, Do violence to no man, neither accuse any falsely, and be content with your wages. He's just preaching it, and he's just saying, now that you're saved, you need to repent of your wickedness, and you need to do this, and you need to do this, and you need to get right. And notice verse 12, the publican said, what do we do? And I believe that one of those publicans 
was Matthew. Because I believe, according to Acts chapter 1, that all 12 were baptized by John the Baptist. And so the actual account of Matthew's salvation would fit with this chapter and what we just read. John preached repentance and he preached faith in the Lamb of God. Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. That's why the disciple says, we have found him, we have found the Christ. And we read in verse 12 of the publicans coming to John, presenting themselves for baptism, which indicates that they had exercised faith in Christ. Remember, he wouldn't baptize those who hadn't turned to him. He said, you're a generation of vipers. But the publicans who did turn to Christ could be baptized. And what is the evidence of genuine conversion that John saw? It was not that they quit being tax collectors. Notice verse 13. He did not say, stop being publicans. He just said, don't take more than what you're supposed to. You know, we got somebody in our church that works for the ATF. Now, I'm going to tell you right now, I don't really like the department of the ATF. I, I just don't. Just like I don't like the IRS. I don't like all those initial departments. ATF, IRS, CIA. To me, they're all M-I-C-K. Anyway. You say, wow, it's terrible. Well, when an IRS agent comes to my house, I hope never happens. Or when an ATF agent comes to my house, I hope it never happens. But if it happens, I hope he's a born-again Christian. Don't you think there's some ATF agents or IRS agents that hate God? I think so. And if they came into my house, it wouldn't take them long to realize that I don't hate God. They'd see Bible verses on the wall. They'd see a Bible here or there. And I think it was a good thing. And you, you know, you, there's plenty of, of places where we can read where publicans were getting saved. In fact, they were complaining, he eats with publicans and sinners. Well, maybe they're publican. Notice it's publicans and sinners. Just because they're publicans doesn't mean they're still sinners. I think Matthew was one of those. I'm positive he was. And so John the Baptist didn't say quit your job. He just said do your job honestly. And it's reasonable to assume that Matthew was one of those. And so imagine his testimony in Capernaum. An honest IRS agent. Whoa! An honest tax collector, an honest publican. What happened to him? Why is that? Because the Bible says Christ came to save lost sinners. That's why it's, when you get to Luke 19 and Zacchaeus, the chief of the publicans, Jesus goes up to him and said, I want to come to your house. And that was the day that Zacchaeus got saved. He said, salvation has come to your house today. But that's not what he said to Matthew. But that's how it's, it's portrayed, even in some commentaries that I've read. But you read, and we read. We read Matthew, we read Mark, and we read Luke. And not one time did it say that's where Matthew got saved. That's where Matthew got called to serve. Christ receives sinful men. And the vilest offender who truly believes, as the song says, Luke chapter 18, there was a publican that said, oh God, be merciful to me, a sinner. So praise God, Matthew got saved. And repentance and faith saves any man. And the Pharisees, the reason why they couldn't get saved is because they were wicked. Notice Matthew chapter 21. 
interesting how that Matthew gives us this story, especially since it has to do with publicans, and Matthew was a publican before he quit his job. Matthew chapter 21 and verse 28. Well, what think ye? A certain man had two sons. And he came to the first and said, Son, go work today in my vineyard. And he answered and said, I will not. But afterward he repented and went. He came to the second son and said, Likewise. And he answered and said, I go, sir, and went not. Whether them twain did the will of his father, they say unto him, The first son. Jesus saith unto them, Verily I say unto you, that the publicans and the harlots go into the kingdom of God before you. You know, Jesus had some publicans and harlots. They got saved and followed him. And you know who said they were following him but weren't? The Pharisees. The publicans and harlots go into the kingdom of God before you, for John came unto you in the way of righteousness, and he believed him not. But the publicans and the harlots believed him. Who did Jesus give credit for getting the publicans saved? John the Baptist. I wonder if Jesus pointed at Matthew and said, the publicans listened to John's message and they got saved. That's not out of the realm of possibilities that Jesus might have pointed right at Matthew and said, the publicans heard the gospel message of John and they got saved. He got saved. You have known more than the tax collector and you still won't get saved. You say, I go, sir, but you don't. He one time in his life said, I will not, but now he goes. I mean, it's in Matthew, right? It's in the book of Matthew. Don't you think Matthew would appreciate this? And ye, when ye had sinned, it repented, repented not afterward that ye might believe him. Jesus rebuked them for not believing John's message. So now, let's look at the call of Matthew. Without rereading all those verses, let's just go to Luke chapter 5. We already read the different ones tonight, but let's go back to Luke chapter 5 and see what it says here. Luke chapter 5 and verse 27. And after these things, he went forth and saw a publican named Levi. Now, question. When he got saved, was he supposed to quit his job? No. He just needed to quit being dishonest at his job. So Matthew could still be a publican and a Christian at the same time. He could. And so in Luke chapter 5, by the way, in case you didn't know, Luke chapter 5 is later than Luke chapter 3. I figured that out. It took me a long time, but I figured it out. Luke chapter 5. So Jesus is the Savior of Matthew. Luke chapter 3, publicans are getting saved. I think Matthew was one of them. Chapter 5, what, what, what do you do when you got saved? How many of you, as soon as you got saved, you quit doing your job? No, you kept doing your job, but you did it honestly. You did it as a Christian. Matthew got saved. He stopped being an average publican. He stopped being a dishonest publican, but he kept collecting taxes because that was his job. And he was a baptized believer from John the Baptist. He was one of John's followers and he was there at Capernaum and he was doing his job and Jesus comes along and Jesus knows this man is honest in his heart and he's saved and he's one of mine. I'm gonna, he's not just going to be a disciple of John anymore. He's going to be one of mine, one of my 12. See, my father, my father got saved when I was just coming coming onto the scene. My father got 
baptized when I was probably just born or shortly thereafter. My father started getting into Baptist churches when I was about four years old. And my father continued his job. My father continued to be a businessman after he got saved. But then somewhere along the line, when I was about maybe 10 or maybe 8, God said, follow me. Not, okay, now you need to get, no, he already was saved. But now God said, I want you to follow me, not just part-time, full-time. And Tom Furs walked away from a nice business job that he had. Tom Furs had a nice career, and he was going to church, and he was doing everything that you would expect anybody that goes, and he, he, And yet God said, I want you more than just that. I want you to follow me all the way. In Luke chapter 5, it says in verse 27, After these things, he went forth and saw a publican named Levi sitting at the receipt of custom. And he said unto him, Follow me. And, And the way it's portrayed in movies and the way it's portrayed in some of the things you read, it's like, it's like this is the first time Matthew and Jesus have met. That's not, I don't believe that. Or it's the first time that Levi, Matthew, knew anything about Jesus. I don't believe that. Because verse 28 says he left all, rose up and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his own house. And there was a great company of publicans and others that sat down with them. Now why did John the Baptist do that? Let's talk about it. First of all, when Christ called him into full-time service, by the way, how do we get more pastors and how do we get more missionaries? Where do, we, where do we get them at? When you are saved and you're doing what God would have you to do, but all of a sudden, somewhere along the line, God says, drop the job. I got a new one for you. Here's Matthew. You can just picture him with a stack of gold coins here and a tally sheet. And Jesus says, I want you to follow me. Just like when he came to Peter and Andrew, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. James and John, follow me. I know you believe in me. I know John the Baptist has taught you and I know that you've been baptized since you believed, but now I want you to follow me. And Matthew stood up from his job and left it all. Your finger in Luke 5, you go to Luke chapter 14. Here's what it says concerning a disciple. Luke chapter 14 and verse 33. So likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. Does the word Christian and the word disciple mean the same thing? Is Christian and disciple synonymous? I hope not, because then what that's saying is, is you can't really be a Christian unless you forsake everything you own. Is that what the Bible teaches? So, so is that the picture we're supposed to have of Matthew, that you're supposed to just step away from everything you own like Matthew did? Is that how you become a Christian? See, that's why the teaching is wrong. That's why the movies get it wrong. They erased the whole point about John the Baptist and how he prepared these men. They got saved and they got baptized and then Jesus called them to be apostles from what John started. What is disciple? There's the word discipline. Notice how disciple and discipline kind of have the same root word. Well, what does it take to be a disciple? Discipline. 
If God's calling you to full-time service, you're going to have to have discipline. You're going to have to be willing to walk away from material things and to not own maybe what other people would own or to live the lifestyle that other people are living. Notice his response was immediate. I think Jesus knew that Matthew was already wrestling in his heart about this. I think probably Matthew was familiar with the fisher guys, the Christian fishermen. And he heard that Jesus had called them and said, I'm going to make you fishers of men. And I think Matthew probably said, I wonder if he'd call me. I'd rather follow him too than do this. And I think Jesus saw in his heart what was happening. And Jesus just said, hey, follow me. Boom, he stood up and started following. His response was immediate. And there was an action. He rose up. He left all and rose up. Whenever God calls you, you're gonna, there's going to be some action. We had that young lady, single lady here a couple months ago, Sarah. She's going back to Uganda soon. You know what? She believes God's called her, and she's moving to action. She's got over 70% of her support, and she's planning to get there hopefully by January. Rose up and followed. This is the definition of discipleship. This is what it means to be a disciple, is to just follow. Follow me, and I will drop the fishing nets, and I'll make you a fisher of men. So what was happening. And then notice this, he celebrated. Now, why did he do that? Well, probably he was going to sell the house the next day or give it away. But verse 29 says, Levi made him a great feast in his own house, and there was a great company of publicans and others that sat down with him. Now, what in the world was Matthew doing here? I'll tell you what he was doing. He's doing the same thing Zacchaeus did. Hey, guys. All you guys, you've been making fun of me for being a Christian and no longer skimming off the top, and I've been honest in my reports. I want you to come over because I've got an announcement to make. I'm giving it all away. I'm leaving the job, and I want you to meet Jesus. I want you to hear him, and I want you to see him. And all these publicans came over. You know what? When God calls you to do something, invite your friends. Invite people to come and see. You know what? That's what happened this morning. This morning, the person who was getting baptized wanted to make sure his wife could come, wanted to make sure everybody else that he could talk to could come. Why? Because that's what we're supposed to do. It's a celebrate. Listen, God's called me and I'm stepping out. He used the opportunity to have a, a great feast and to be a testimony to the other publicans. And so the disciple Matthew became the apostle Matthew. Last time you read his name in the Bible is Acts chapter 1 when it gives the list of the apostles. And then Peter, of course, suggests that they need to pick a replacement. Obviously, there's a book in the Bible called Matthew. Over half of the book, 60%, I think it is, 60, 65% of the book of Matthew is red letters. There's more of Jesus' words in Matthew than there is not. God used Matthew and he was inspired to write. Matthew, they say, is written to the Jews and his portrayal of Jesus is the king. Jesus is king. Remember, it starts out, where is he that is born king of the Jews? And he's the one that's always referring to Jesus as king. That was Matthew's uh, take on it. I can't show you this in the Bible, but, but legend or tradition says that Matthew preached in the Judea area for a while and then went into Ethiopia south 
and preached and he did such a good job preaching and sharing the gospel with people and so many people were getting saved that finally the government in that area killed him ran him through with a spear and and martyred him he was martyred Matthew's one of the great men in the Bible a great apostle God used him greatly and I love the book of Matthew the application here Christ is able to save anyone I think Matthew was a rotten guy for a while. I think Matthew was so disgusted with what was going on around him that he said, I might as well work for the government and make money. And he was making money. I don't know that he was evil and wicked or, you know, as horrible wicked, but I think he was a wicked sinner. I think he was an unsaved publican. But God's willing to save anybody. And then the cool part is God's willing to use anybody. Matthew the publican became Matthew the apostle. And notice also that obedience to when Christ calls you to do something more is instant and thorough. He rose up, left it all behind, and followed Jesus. I'm not suggesting that everybody in in church is supposed to leave their job and just become a pastor or a missionary or something like that. But I do think we've got people in church that that are not listening to Jesus I do think we have some people in church that are resisting a call or maybe parents are saying no 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 don't you call my poopsie whoopsies don't you don't you I don't want my kids I remember one I remember one dad in particular he actually said to me we had a missionary came and tell and telling the kids some awesome stories about uh, the mission field and when I say awesome I'm talking about how that you know they had to eat rat because that was the that was the main cuisine for the night was rat and uh, and how that they had to live and there was malaria and there's all kinds of stuff and of course kids are like wow and but but this dad came to me afterwards he said I don't like that I don't like the idea of, of missionaries putting stories in the kids' heads because what 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 if what if my kid wants to do that well well that missionary loves what he's doing and. He's just telling the kids, this is what God's called me to do. And I know why missionaries do it, because missionaries know there needs to be more people called. There needs, And it's not like God's forgotten to call people. I just think the telephone's ringing and people aren't answering it. And I think parents are part of it. And this dad, oh, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think that's right. I think, you're, I think that's just wrong for, for missionaries to talk to kids and influence them. Listen. That mom and dad, that dad is still in Custer, but he's no longer even married to the lady. The the family's... You know what I think? I think had he just done what God wanted, he'd be a lot happier man tonight and his kids would be doing a whole lot better than where... Those kids aren't in Africa. But his kids aren't on the mission field. But they'd be better off if they were than where they're at now. And what we see in Matthew is we see a man who walked away from a lot of money, walked away from better than average job, way better than pulling in fishing nets. I mean, when Matthew stepped into the, the crowd, it was like, whoa. And they probably had a little adjustment because I'm an educated fisher. And here's Matthew, who probably knew math pretty well. And they all had to get along. And God calls from all walks of life. And, and, and yet, 
his heart was prepared and he was ready to go. John the Baptist was sent to prepare a people for the Lord and he was one of them. Praise God for that. In Matthew, you find a lot of cool things like uh, the Olivet Discourse. It's not just in Matthew, but it is one of those things about Matthew and Jesus preached the Sermon on the Mount, as they call it. Now, in, in the one video that I watched, Jesus is rehearsing the Olivet Discourse and Matthew's taking notes and giving suggestions. Let me tell you something. Jesus didn't need to rehearse his sermon. Jesus didn't need to practice or write down an outline and certainly didn't need to bounce it off of Matthew. Good grief. Have faith in God for crying out loud. Matthew stood there and listened to the word of God, and I don't even think he needed a pen and paper. I think later on God inspired him and, he, and brought to memory what he had heard earlier, and he just started writing. And over half of his book is red ink, the words of Jesus. Praise God for Matthew, one another, one of the, uh, another one of the great men in the Bible that God used greatly, and he's one of the 12 uh, that we'll see in heaven someday. We're going to stop there, and we'll close in prayer and pick up with another character next week. Lord, we thank you for the word. Lord, we thank you for opportunity to preach and teach and share, and, and we thank you for uh, the testimony of Matthew. It's, it's, it's not certainly not as detailed as a, a person like David or or Joseph, or some of the other characters of the Bible, but there's enough there for us to realize and put together the pieces and to see behind the scenes and to recognize that God calls people. First, he calls them to salvation through the preaching of the preacher. And then after they're saved and and starting to obey your word and baptism and, and growing, then he calls us to other things, to service. And, uh, Help us no matter how big or small we we seem to have a, a life ahead of us. Help us to recognize if you've called us to something full-time that we're not afraid to go. And we thank you for the testimony of Matthew, who was a publican that you made an apostle. And we praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Don't forget, young people, you're going to meet up front here. <laughs>